0: G'day. Thanks for joining us in this Broadway Spotlight edition of The Stages podcast. A Spotlight replay brought to you by Academy Travel, a leading specialist in small group cultural tours. And we've got exciting news for you. Join me in January 2024 as Academy Travel takes us to the city that never sleeps on an immersive and jam-packed adventure into theatre, opera, jazz and cabaret. A 10-day tour in which we will sample the best of Broadway, the Metropolitan Opera and jazz in Brooklyn, alongside a host of cultural experiences at museums and galleries populating the Big Apple. As your stage's host, I'll be leading the tour, accompanying participants in an exciting array of activities that are bound to delight, thrill and engage the eager theatre fan. What can be better than diving into arts and culture in the greatest city in the world? The Big Apple, the city that never sleeps. Find further information at the Academy Travel website academytravel.com.au and search Theatre in New York Best of Broadway Tour. To whet the appetite, stages will be visiting conversations with Australian artists who conquered the Great White Way in a series of Broadway Spotlight episodes brought to you by Academy Travel. Michael John Slinger was born in Queensland and via a series of successful twists and turns found himself studying in New York in his late teens. He received a full scholarship to attend American Ballet Theatre's Jacqueline Kennedy Onassa School. Study at the prestigious Juilliard School followed, making him the first Australian to be accepted into either one of these programs. A significant run on the musical theatre stage in New York has earned him seven Broadway credits in a host of roles as performer, swing and dance captain. It commenced with his debut in the revival production of West Side Story, directed by Broadway titan Arthur Lorenz. In recent times, he has shifted his focus to choreography as an associate and assistant. Michael John Slinger was a guest of the Stages podcast in April 2021. 2021. Here's Stages' conversation with Michael John-Slinger. Here I have to go flick
1: flick. Yeah, it's all done. And it's going. It's also nice to do a podcast like in person. Oh. The the couple I've done, it's like always been on Zoom and when the internet connection's not great, it's sometimes, you know, this is so much
0: better. It drops out or or whatever. And you can have that personal rapport. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Which is great. Michael John Slinger, uh, welcome to stage. It's lovely to have you set a stage in this episode. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh no, it's. Uh, when I saw that you were back in Australia for a while, I, I jumped at the chance because I think you have a terrific story which um, you're about to share with our listeners um, of, of a dream that came true. Yeah, I suppose that's true. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so growing up, you, I guess, all young performer has that. Ideal of sort of playing the mecca of Broadway. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Did you ever think that it was actually possible within your reach? Um, Yeah, I guess I...
1: It's what I wanted, so I sort of set my mind to it. I think my parents, um, who have been very supportive, I think were trying to maybe... um, get me to be a little bit more realistic (laughs) um but I wasn't interested and uh as I got older and and really started to understand what 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 it was like over there and and realized I'd need to study before I would even be able to do that it sort of it worked itself out in a way so there was really no other option you know for me as a young teenager you know um I hadn't really sort of face any hardships or sort of no. So I, I had no reason to, it's a bit naive, I suppose, but I had no reason to.
0: But sometimes naivety is the, is the best oh, tool, isn't it? The best asset.
1: Yeah. Cause the, the, there was really nothing, um, to kind of limit me. I mean, obviously there was lots of logistics, but it worked out. So, um, I've, I've, I've found that often when things are quite organic, you know, it's, feels like it's supposed to be and it, it was a pretty organic
0: journey considering i think well worked out indeed you've got extensive credits on broadway i i last count i think it was about six shows uh seven
1: shows seven Sponsor shows who's <laughs> <laughs> um
0: yeah seven performing credits
1: plus um a bunch of like new york city concerts and really cool sort of one night events and things but um yeah seven shows sort of kept me working
0: for 10-year run. Were you working when the, the COVID hit in March last year? Yeah,
1: so I, a couple of years ago, um, actively made the decision to, to not pursue performing, um, and transition to a more creative role. And so, um, the last couple of years I've been, uh, working as an associate choreographer to, um, a wonderful woman named Lauren Lotero. Um, she choreographed waitress, uh, we've been attached on a bunch of projects together. And she and I um, were in previews, our third preview for Mrs Doubtfire on Broadway when COVID hit, which the one-year anniversary is tomorrow. Broadway shut down a year ago, uh, March
0: 12th. Wow, it's, it's extraordinary. And, and so I, I, New York, of course, as we know, America became engulfed by, by the virus. Uh, so that was your impetus for coming back to Australia? I didn't come back right away. Uh,
1: because New York's been home for 16 years and I have a partner and a dog and all of my things. And so it just, it made sense to me to stay. We also were all quite naive and thought it would not last as long as it was. Uh, I mean, at the time we were expecting like a 12-week sort of leave. They, They shut down Broadway for four, but... Um, immediately, our producers said, "You know, be prepared to not come back till after Memorial Day, which is the, the end of May." Um, and also, my partner—he's um, a doctor—and so COVID happened, and he—he's in the front line. He got thrown in there, yeah. um, and so it just quite quickly—it it was a, there was no way for me to just sort of leave him to be on his own and deal with, with what he was seeing and experiencing. And it was very real. Um, and I didn't really, we just had nothing to compare it to. So we all sort of just got on with it. Um, but it wasn't until he moved back into his, um, role, he usually works in the children's hospital. So once he sort of got back to, to not dealing with all of those sort of COVID deaths, um, I felt more comfortable, to leave him (laughs) and come down. So I came to Australia for a month, like just to visit my mum. I'd spent six days in Australia in the the previous three years. So I thought, Oh, I'll make the most of of this time and and come down. And so I was lucky I arrived the week that they sort of put the cap on the arriving um, passengers. And so i didn't really have any problems and i didn't experience like the ridiculous amount of money that the airlines are now charging for airfares and i thought two weeks in hotel quarantine will be a breeze um after five months of sort of being in lockdown in new york and adapting and it actually was really challenging i think it was only because i had no idea what was waiting for me on the other side um and it was great um after five months of sort of devastation new york really was hit hard and you know there were multiple things that happened after covid black lives matter and the riots were all very intense so it was just i was i was very raw and i also hadn't really processed um just my grief for what i do um you know and i i i, I, I don't like the idea of being defined by my work but you know What I've come to realise is my whole life I've been able to make a career expressing myself and you know that's a privilege that most people don't get but working in the arts and I really have been starved of that prior to my time in Australia um and so I ended up staying for four and a half months (laughs) uh and I came down to Sydney just for a couple of weeks to think oh you know what I'll try and just get to know some people because I have no sort of professional career down here. And then that turned into two and a half months and uh, motivated me to come back. I had to return to the States because of my green card and just to check in on my life. But um, yeah, I came back, I got back in on New Year's Eve and did another another hotel quarantine. (laughs) Um, But it's great. I'm
0: really grateful to be down here and and making the best of a really tricky time. It's interesting that you talk about a grieving process because that's something which uh, a lot of the population probably don't really understand. I, I certainly know that politicians don't understand yes. that, 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 that creative artists who whose whole being and and career is about that personal expression. But to have, have it just shut down like that it was the first industry to close, and it probably most likely will be one of the last industries to return. It,
1: I think, um, from what I understand, I just recently had a, a meeting... Um, with producers on one of our projects because we were actually supposed to have two Broadway shows open last year, one in April and then another one almost famous in the fall, um, American fall, like around November. So I had been hustling for the last couple of years um, and really starting over, like to sort of rebrand myself and be seen in a different way. Um, it took some time, so I had a lean couple of years as I was trying to say yes to all of these passion projects and... Finally, it did. I went into 2020 feeling very excited that I was going to have all of this momentum and sort of what would happen after Broadway with these shows. Hopefully, they'd have an international life. So that was disappointing for sure. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I think Australia as well. Just they've handled it so well. So whenever they like, even the hotel quarantine, for me, as hard as it was, I really respected it. And, um, you know, at the, when you think about it right now, Australia's got to be the only place in the world that has... Live theatre. Live theatre.
0: I recently did um, a podcast with Michael Castle, who's producing oh, yes. Harry Potter and Hamilton. Yes. And, yes, the realisation that that Sydney and Melbourne are probably the only places in the world where you can see those, yeah, those juggernaut So shows. There's probably
1: three musicals in the world right now. Mm. What are they? Uh Hamilton, Frozen, and, and we I, had Pippin not so long ago and Rent. Yeah.
0: And I think that isn't Phantom playing in Asia somewhere? Oh, maybe. It hasn't, didn't really ever stop.
1: Oh, wow. I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was interesting. Oh, I'm sorry, I went on a tangent. Uh, with the way things are in America and sort of, you know, everything's so unionized, so probably so expensive, there's no way to
0: return um, until producers can sell at full capacity and the Broadway and the West End are environments industries which rely on the tourist trade and until people can visit the States or London again yeah and I think um, you know the shows
1: I'm attached to are positioned really well because they haven't opened so I, I, I'm really grateful but some of some of the shows are staples in New York just completely rely on tourism and sort of those day of ticket sales. And so um, it'll be interesting to see how it all unfolds. Um, but I'm, I'm anticipating for everything I'm attached to, it'll probably be early next year before I'm, I'm in rehearsal again, which, you, you know, that would mean Mrs. is probably gonna open two years later than to the date that it was supposed to, but.
0: As long as it gets
1: there. As long as it gets there, yeah. exactly.
0: So, uh, yes, keeping tabs of you on, on your Instagram account, you seem to be in quarantine Alt. all the time. <laughs> what did you do in quarantine? How did you amuse yourself?
1: So the first time, like I, uh, like I said to you, I didn't know what was waiting for me on the other side. And I quarantined in Sydney. And so we didn't get fresh air or anything. They were really strict. And it was, that was hard. So you couldn't open the windows? Couldn't open the windows. Mm. We didn't even get given a, a key for our room, you know, an Australian Defence Force um officer like escorted us up let us in and that was it so so you had those four walls that's for the two it. weeks and i struggled to be honest i wasn't i wasn't great and i think it was because i was finally able to sort of process what the last sort of five months had been um that being said when i came home at, on new year's eve i was able to fly into brisbane um i'm from queensland and i ended up getting bust down to the gold coast where I'm from. So mum was 10 minutes away and it made all the difference because I got lots of care packages. Um, and I, I came, um, much better prepared. Um, I embraced the time and I actually, I started a writing class when I went back to New York last year, um, and a TV pilot writing class. And so I just basically spent My mornings I'd meditate and work out, and then I'd write for six or seven hours a day in the afternoon, and um, it it whizzed by. And I had a balcony too, so I I was definitely
0: set up for success the second time. Um, And in reality, I guess some of those hotel rooms were actually bigger than the Broadway dressing rooms that
1: you've (laughs) had to inhabit. Absolutely, (laughs) like fitting, um, oh, how many, I think we had, 18 men in our ensemble dressing room at the Schubert for Hello Dolly. It was
0: tight. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. You get to know each other pretty well. Yes, definitely. (laughs) It's fun though. So when did you start dancing?
1: Uh, I was five and my parents are actually British and uh, we moved to Adelaide uh, when I was six weeks old. So really I've been raised... Um, here and we went back my grandma took me to the UK to see some family and my cousins all danced. I was like five years old and I came back and I, I said to mom that I want to do dancing and they said well, what kind of dancing and I had no idea so I said rock and roll <laughs> um, but yeah they uh, enrolled me in a like a local studio and it was like once a week until um we moved up to Queensland when I was 10 or 11 and just by accident um, enrolled in a much more competitive studio. And that's sort of where it just took over. And all of the Boy Scouts and soccer lessons and all the other things I used to do sort of disappeared and it became dancing six days a week, uh, which I loved.
0: And um, it sounds like from day one you've got that uh, tremendous commitment and dedication, which is. Is required. It's a, it's a strict discipline, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I I don't know if I naturally had it in me or if it was just the teachers I was exposed to. But you now, obviously, like I'm always like a dancer first, um, and there's just no other way to be that sort of commitment. You know, even now that I'm, I'm teaching and, and anything I do, I sort of go for a hundred percent because. I've experienced the payoff of if you really do go for something, how how great it can be. Did you caught much flack at school? Oh, I was teased so much, and I'm really quite a sensitive soul, um, so that was really tough for me. But then I had a whole other life after school with you know my dancing friends. That was the most incredible thing, you know, doing troops and things together. Um, Finding a tribe, but exactly, and then you know, totally like coming of age when I moved to New York and ended up studying at Juilliard, I, my mind was just blown. I was in this environment where everybody was like me, even if they played a musical instrument or they were studying drama. Um, and they were all sort of like they're big fish in their own small pond. And suddenly we're all here together. It was inspiring Great. and humbling and, humbling, yeah. and um, you know Juilliard was a four year program that was very intense but it definitely um, changed sort of my whole perspective on, on what
0: I could make for myself as a kid are you being inspired and addicted to films like Footloose and Center Stage and Center Stage, Center stage Fame, absolutely chorus line
1: seeing Cats actually made me I hated ballet. Oh, and cats. And the, yeah. the, the live show! Like the live yeah, show, yeah. I thought, "Oh my gosh, I want to be Mr. Mistopheles, so I better start taking ballet, even though I don't enjoy it." Um, and then Billy Elliot actually was
0: a movie I really loved as well. Um, so those shows are encouraging you to um, invest in different styles that you. That you yeah,
1: I was definitely like a theatre sort of jazz dancer with not great technique when i was younger and i just as i as i grew and i got older i realized oh you need to have some technique if you want to sort of back this up but you know seeing boys doing ballet was and masculine it was and sort of not the stereotype or sort of um counteracting all of the labels that I was bullied and teased for. Um, yeah, it was actually really inspiring. So who were your dance heroes at that time? <laughs> oh, Sasha Odeski that played Charlie on *Center stage, for yeah. sure. Um, and then, oh gosh, who else? I think whoever, all of those boys in Cats, I just thought it was amazing that like they could dance with such sort of athleticism and still be quite beautiful at the same time. It was, I obviously did not know how to articulate that at the time, but it just, it inspired me for sure. Did you enjoy school? No, (laughs) it was just hard. I just didn't have a whole lot to connect to other kids with, you know, I was different and I was a boy. School was fine. Uh, I just was, I was like, All I wanted to do was dance, and I ended up finishing high school in year 11 and 12 through correspondence, um, and did full-time ballet, which was amazing for me. I just thought I was like the bee's knees, and it was the best life ever.
0: (laughs) Well, it's great to hear all of these things that you're saying, because, you know, a lot of people who listen to this show are kids at school who have dreams of entering the industry one day, so hearing your experiences, I'm sure a lot can... Will certainly be able to relate.
1: Well, I think I just had a conversation with someone yet the other day. I I'm teaching a lot in in Sydney at the moment, um, which I've I don't really teach dance in in New York just because I've worked and there's you don't have time. yeah and the city's bigger. The studios are all sort of out in Long Island or in deep in Jersey, and it's just not as easy as it is here and also the culture's different everyone goes to university for four years there's not necessarily like full-time programs and finishing schools that way but i underestimated the impact that i would have working with these like young adults really um i thought i'd sort of just show up do my thing push the push them do a hard class and leave and i've become really invested in what I have only just realized, is oh, I'm homegrown as well. I'm a Gold Coast boy that moved to New York at 17, and look at everything I've done. And it's, I'm like a living example um, of the possibility. And, you know, nobody really knew me back home because I was busy over in the States. And so it's actually, I feel really proud to be able to sort of show these young kids young adults really that it's possible if, if they want like I'm a living example of it and so I'm really grateful for that it's a privilege it's a silver lining of COVID for sure
0: and because you went over there at 17 I guess and you came from Queensland I guess there's a lot of the industry here who were not aware of who you are either because your absolutely. career blossomed and, and grew in New York
1: absolutely it and so I as I've gotten to know people down here they were, They were like, how do we not know you? How do we not know anything you've done? I just was busy in my lane, I guess, is how I I look at it. Um, But, yeah, it's been really nice to be back. And I will say, like, the Sydney um, Theatre and Arts community have embraced me with open arms, which is
0: really lovely too. so. So how did that journey to New York begin? I guess it was 2004 when you won the Australian Dancer of the Year Award.
1: Yeah, so that basically paid for me to go to Las Vegas to um, a competition that it's had a relationship with and performed there. Uh, and First we, time overseas?
0: No, I'd no. been
1: to the UK a couple oh, of times. With your grandma. Yeah, yeah. so um, we went over. My dad took me, and we made, we made quite a trip out of it. We went for four weeks, and... Um, Part of the plan was obviously to go to New York because I was obsessed with Broadway. So that was like the final week. And I was doing full-time ballet by that point. And my teacher said, you know, we should make a video, an audition video of you taking ballet class because I know the artistic director of the Jacqueline Kennedy and NASA School that's at American Ballet Theatre. He's an Australian. And I was like, okay. And I didn't think much of it, sent it off. And I was invited to take class at American Ballet Theatre and so one of the days we were in New York I think it was like the third day dad took me and I was like sick to my stomach with nerves and they offered me a place on the spot wow (laughs) which was cool and who was the Australian that was there? John Meehan right I think he's somewhere in Asia last I had heard you know he moved on but um, that was a ballet was never the end goal but it was American ballet theater and the two male leads of center stage that I loved danced at American ballet theater. And it was just like, my mind was blown and I knew I wanted to audition for an American, um, university program. And so it just felt like it was a no brainer. It got me in the States and I could audition in person. And so I was at ABT for seven or eight months.
0: And I, that's when I auditioned for Juilliard and but I guess you're, you know, uh, and this is the big sacrifices that I know young dancers have to make. You are extracted from your parents, I guess. They're in Queensland and you're in, now in the States by yourself? I feel it more
1: now. When I was 17, I couldn't
0: wait to get on the plane and leave. And also, I
1: can't believe my parents let me get on a plane at 17 and move to New York City. That was very brave of them. I ha- I didn't know better. I mean, I had I had days early on where I'd be a bit homesick, but I was also like, had so much to prove. And then, like I said, Juilliard's four, a four-year program, um, and they have quite an international um, student population. And so that really was the big hug because they did a very good job of of um, supporting us all because it was
0: an intense program. Who were the staff at Juilliard that are teaching it?
1: Uh, at the time, the artistic director was... Um, Larry Rhodes, he's since passed, unfortunately. Um, and then, you know, everybody that was anybody in, in modern dance, Risa Steinberg, like principal of uh, the Lamone Company, Therese Cappuccilli, principal of the Martha Graham Company, and was artistic director of the Graham Company, um, a lot of like pioneers in that that modern dance world. Um <laughs> Alexandra Wells, uh she was an incredible ballet teacher, Andrea Covino. Her father was one of the like founding um, ballet faculty at Juilliard. It was it was it was
0: cool. It was... And you're getting the opportunity to also dance works by choreographers like Yuri Kiliyan and Yes and Twyla Tharp. And...
1: Um, Yuri Killian was my favorite thing. I think I ever got to dance. Um, and actually, I can't tell you her name, but they sent an Australian woman um to set it on us uh gosh what is her name there's no way i'm gonna remember it but uh she'd been dancing in europe for 20 30 years um but yeah it was it was incredible and they were really committed to grooming us to become artists which was something i hadn't really explored i was like just all about the dancing and suddenly i'm being exposed to like all sorts of cultural classes and humanities and and we're we're you know being not forced but encouraged to like collaborate with a musician and, and choreograph a solo and just it, it also like what could we give back to the community it was really for life-changing years that that i think prepared me for a professional
0: life in new york are you getting much time to explore new york i mean it, it, it is the greatest city in the world oh. I, I think and it can be quite overwhelming but But are you married to the mob at Juilliard? You are. It's there in big weeks. It's all day, every day. So
1: Sundays would be sort of the day to go and and see things. Um, You know, and that campus is up at Lincoln Centre. And so they they were encouraging to to try and get us out of our bubble, but it's also a great place to be 19 years old, living at Lincoln Centre and dancing all day. It's just... You're exposed to so much because New York City Ballet... um, rehearsed in the building next door and then like the, the the dorms housed New York City uh School of American Ballet which is the the school for New York City Ballet um we shared the same cafeteria and dormitory building and New York City Opera used to exist but back when I was there so it was it was pretty incredible I, I guess it would be like if there was a campus at the Sydney Opera House yeah. or something like that you know yeah. so um Are you venturing into Broadway and seeing shows? I was. And then mum came to visit. And so anytime mum would come to visit, it was like, great. I have a school ID so I can get us two $25 student tickets. And mum, we would go see like, on a, like a matinee day, we'd go do like Jersey Boys in the afternoon and then Hairspray in the evening. And, you know, there'd be partial view or sort of standing room, but I did not care. So I always loved it when mum came to visit because I'd see like, 16 shows in like two weeks or something. So
0: So are there many graduates from Juilliard who are going into musical theatre? No,
1: it's sort of, it happens. Mm. Um, And to be honest, that was a big concern of theirs (laughs) when I applied and in my interview. Um, And so I did, I did consider having like a concert dance career first. Um, But I had four years of that experience and I knew where I wanted to, to land. And so I always, I had private singing lessons like off campus the whole time I was there because it was a very dance heavy program. Um, and I guess things just fell into place and I got really lucky with, with the the West Side Story revival that I did in 09 happening when it happened. Because also at the time, People on Broadway, like in the ensemble, were in their like late twenties to early thirties, you know, um and and that, this West
0: Side, they, they were casting young dancers, weren't they? Young,
1: yeah, yeah. I that? got approached. Like, I didn't have an agent. Like, a casting director messaged me on a social media platform, MySpace. Do you remember MySpace? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and I R-I-P. was like, I was like, this isn't real. But sure enough, you know, and Jerome Robbins, it's no joke that choreography. um And so I was one of the older cast members at 21, I think, or 22 when I got hired. So Joey McNeely would have been on that, I guess, he? he? Yep, Joey McNeely um, remounted
0: the... Because he's remounted a couple of times in Australia. Yeah, he was like the guy, I think, for a long time. Um, And what about Arthur Lorenz? Didn't he direct that? He did direct it. So what was Mr. Lorenz like? Because he would have been quite—he was close to eighty, wasn't he? Yeah, he—he
1: yeah. he was. You didn't know what you were going to get. Right. He had a temper, yeah. and he was very bitter with Jerome Robbins, and he brought a lot of that into the room. So, to be honest, it w- didn't feel like the safest space between Joey and Arthur, because Joey was intense too. Um, and we did a, our production was bilingual so that was another big challenge on on it so we took it to washington dc before we came into new york and you know a lot of that concept didn't end up staying in the show so right. the dancing was beautiful um but it was it it, it, it was an, not a completely followed through kind of conceptual idea that production but i got to dance to robbins on broadway at the palace theater I was like
0: but weren't you also dance captain
1: I was yeah yeah. and I which also wouldn't happen now I was a jet and a shark swing so I was busy but also I was like playing a principal at 22 years old with some of those jet boys it just was a
0: long time ago though so the role of dance captain you must have to know every step in the show do you you have to know every step you're
1: responsible really for maintaining like the um integrity of, of all of the movement. You have to know all of the principles, um, staging, like anything with music. Um and then you also have to be prepared to swing in and cover all of the ensemble. So it's a big job job. It takes it takes a while. Like it took me about six months before I felt like I knew Hello Dolly inside out. Um, And so that in itself is another skill set that I found, um, I excelled at was being able to get thrown into the mix well before everything's established. Like a preview process in New York is really intense when you know that the New York times are out there and you've never done the show before. Like it's, it's not for everybody. I thrived at that and sort of saving the day. Um, but it, it, yeah, it's it's a lot of work. So why did they select you to be dance captain? What qualities did you exhibit? I had no business being the dance captain on West Side oh, Story, you were quite young as well. Yeah, yeah, and we were all a pretty inexperienced cast. Right. Um, but it, 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 not everybody does it, but it makes the most sense to have a dance captain be off stage, um, so they can note and maintain the show. Um, and I was the oldest swing of the, the three male swings we had at the time and um i didn't get offered it right away it wasn't until we were in dc so i i guess they they waited to sort of see how we all did um and i was quite on top of my my stuff so i think that that's why they took a chance on me and we had a resident choreographer on the show too right. so i wasn't completely had a um, on my own
0: did you have sondheim in the room as well
1: not on That West Side Story. He did come see it. But um, we did have Sondheim in the room a lot on the Merrily We Roll Along revival that I um, choreographed. associate choreographed yeah. on, which was pretty amazing.
0: Lorenz, <laughs> <laughs> Sondheim,
1: already. I know, I've like rubbed shoulders you. with a lot of... giant ...names. It's, it's not until I do something like this or I'm teaching full-time and i'm and I recognize I come across quite casual, but it's just it's, well, it's the off. it's the office for you isn't it it, it yeah. is yeah. so it 's only in moments like this when i I get to actually live through it, it. I go, oh I, I had a really good
0: run, <laughs> so yeah I'm really lucky The Broadway theater is highly unionized. How difficult was it for an Australian to get a green card or your equity card? it was in tense and again it's just things fell into place but it was a lot of
1: stress um I long story short all of the lawyers said to me there is no way that you'll get a green card off of it straight out of a student visa um situation so I was um encouraged to to get this visa called an 01 and it's it recognizes like extraordinary ability in the arts and sports and science and so they said get that because if you get that your case is pretty much built for the green card and of course the union didn't want to recognize that visa which lets um Aussies freelance in the states which is great for just about every union except actors equity so uh they'll let you work if you have a green card or what they call an employment authorization card and the only way you can get an employment authorization card is if your green card is pending because it can take a couple of years Um, Or at the end of your student visa, they give you one for nine months to let you have a chance to try and land some work and stay. So I had that to get me going with West Side Story, applied for the O-1, even though there was really no use for it work-wise, it, in terms of the US government, it was, I had to do that to bridge that gap. And then as the EA card from my student visa expired, the application for the green card went in and then i just crossed my fingers and <laughs> hoped i got it and it took took almost i didn't get it till 2010 like in july so for, it was about like 15 16 months of that process um it was expensive and thank god for mum and dad's help um and it was very stressful but once i got it i didn't have to worry about it ever again so I feel I feel for Aussies That's the biggest challenge It's it it's hard to just be given a, Issued a green card There's steps And so I got very lucky A
0: lot of patience A lot of dollars A lot of A angst. lot of
1: money But as my agents had said to me at the time They were like This is essentially You're investing in your career And the, I mean they're not wrong I worked for 10 years in New York So I definitely like can justify the $20,000 it cost. To, yes. get card, yeah. to get a green wow, card. to get a green card. Wow,
0: wow, wow. You talked about Almost Famous and Mrs Doubtfire yes. earlier. Shows that, that go out of town to have their tryouts and be presented in front of an audience and, and get reactions. I guess that's a really important period for in the construction of a new show. It is. And, you know, before we go out of
1: town, there's often several developmental kind of workshop processes where on Almost Famous we did a five-week what they call a lab and then we presented a version of the show in the studio for potential investors and, and industry people and so that informs you in itself and then you get a version to take out of town and then that does inform you um, it was our intention to go back into development for Almost Famous last summer before coming into New York. Um, and same, Mrs. Doubtfire. Uh, we had a great experience out of town, but you very quickly realize what's working, what's not, and um, we had the ability to go back into rehearsal. We we were in Seattle. November December and then it closed and the cast had a month off and then we came back and we had three or four weeks of we went into tech and it 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 was great because you can take you can step away from it and then come back and reassess um, sometimes some of the shows I've worked on as a performer if it's a revival will skip that step and just think oh we know what we need to do and I just I I think you always buy yourself some more insurance by taking a show out of town,
0: yeah. for sure. A lot of uh, recent Broadway product has had its source material as films. You know, Almost Famous certainly is. Doubt um, yeah. Tootsie, uh, Pretty Woman, King Kong, Rocky. Yeah, the list goes on. And 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 they're great narratives, of course, and they've obviously been successful in one particular medium. Um, It's not always the case that they they transfer easily to the stage or a musical theatre narrative, storytelling. Absolutely. For example,
1: Almost Famous is... It's a show I'm actually really proud of, but it isn't necessarily a show that... It absolutely needs a choreographer, but we're not dancing. You know, we've got very talented actors that play instruments and and what have you so approaching movement that serves them well and also a show that's it's full of like mid-tempo rock songs and it has an amazing original score as well as the iconic songs from the movie but yeah it's really challenging to infuse energy into a show that the movie is quite linear so it's been a, that's actually been a really enjoyable process for that very reason whereas Mrs Doubtfire um ironically still behaves like a traditional musical even though it's a contemporary show with a, a pop score um Jerry Zaks who directed Hello Dolly another giant I know yeah. he's, he's directing Doubtfire so he's he's a genius with comedy so it's hilarious and he's really good about pacing he getting to work with him on Dolly and then this is like a masterclass, really. Um, but like I said, it behaves like a traditional musical. So production number, you know, the drop comes in, there's a two-person scene in wing one, uh, the, the wing one part of the stage and then reveals a new set and whatever. So that, um, that's that been fun because there, there is a lot, of, a lot of really satisfying dancing um, for us. But yeah, even that, we've made changes from the movie to sort of serve it as a stage show.
0: And putting a film on stage, um, you really... Uh, the audience are there wanting to see the moments that they love from yes. the film. So to preserve those and, and... Like I might just think of Doubtfire. Is there that wonderful scene where he burns his boots? So that's so great that you said that because there's a, an opportunity often
1: for moments like that. So yes, in, we actually do a massive tap number... <laughs> Um, and everything gets to be heightened in that way, and it's really satisfying, actually. So the number buttons with him with his breasts on fire. But the journey to get there and him struggling to cook in the kitchen is so so great. We have, you know, he says, hey, Siri, how do I make a delicious and nutritious meal? And then a YouTube chef pops up, and it's Rachel Ray. And then because it's musical theatre and we've earned it, Paula Dean comes out of the refrigerator halfway through and then, um, a Michelin star chef comes out of the pantry and it just becomes chaos. And it's, it's really fun because it, you know, the concept works and we just get to be ridiculous. And then they tap their faces off. Miss Stoutfire tap dances while, um, the, the chickens in the oven and then egg timer goes off to interrupt the big tap break. And it's so satisfying. The audience love it. And then it's like back to chaos and, That's what's fun about what we do. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, and I imagine it's it's quite a farce as well, uh, Mrs. Doubtfire. Yes. (laughs) Once it starts, it's um it doesn't stop till the end. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But like you know, something we were figuring out in New York, and Jerry, uh, like I said, he's so good, is. The the the. The first time we meet Mrs. Doubtfire is after a number called "Make Me a Woman." And he said, we've got, to, we've got to meet Mrs. Doubtfire sooner. So that was, that was where we were in our process when COVID happened of like making edits and cuts to sort of trim a few minutes off. So you give the audience what they want. And he's, he is a genius, I have to say, working so closely to, to, to see and experience that every day was amazing because I didn't get that experience all the time when I was performing.
0: Well, how exciting that you're having an opportunity to work on the development of these, these new musicals when you've had such an experience working on uh, classics from the Broadway canon, starting with West Side Story and Guys and Dolls and um, Hello, Dolly. Yeah. I think one of the, the most extraordinary examples of musical theatre ever to exist and, and to be part of that wonderful Broadway revival, with starting off with Bette Midler and then... Bernadette Peters and, and Donna Murphy and, and um, Betty Buckley eventually took it on tour didn't she? She did it, But what a show it, it was a really good way to go
1: um, As you mean your, your Like my performing chapter yeah. Because I did think I'm like how am I going to top this You know um, And I During that process as I really came to, to realise That I Performing wasn't for, as fulfilling As it used to be um and i I mean I've worked really hard as the dance captain and in new York we're put on a six month contract, and then we can leave with four weeks' notice, which means a cast member can put in their notice every week so i and it happened with the boys I was every two weeks I was starting a rehearsal for another one so i was I just lived in the studio and I lived in the theater taking people into the show, and so I was really tired. And I, I, I could have had a few more years performing, but I recognized that I was maybe ready for something new. And so when they gave us our notice, um, that was okay. But the one of the last times I went on, I did go on with Bette. Bette came back for six weeks to close the show, but I ended up being on for Bernadette's last show. And I have to say, I absolutely loved her. Um, and I actually, I was exhausted. I was like, "Can we put another swing on on time?" And like, "No, you're on." I was like, "Okay." Um, but I'd made peace with the fact that Dolly was sort of closing a chapter for me. And as a swing and a dance captain, I'm often not on on opening or closing, and that's okay. But she came down the stairs for Hello Dolly, and the audience stood up and for five minutes just clapped. And it was, I was sad to see her go, and I was like, oh, this is such a historical moment.
0: She's like one of the last sort of, um... And it could effectively be Bernadette's final show as well. Oh, don't say that. No, I don't want to say that. But, (laughs) But, you know, I mean, she's of an age now, and how many roles come along for, for divas like that?
1: Well, the audience then stayed not standing on their feet for the entire number, and she was crying, we were all crying, you know, doing those penguin walks, it was, I was actually so grateful in that moment that I got to have that experience, and I yeah. thought, oh, what a great way to, to go, and then I got a, f- a few more chances with Bet, but of course, everybody was sort of making the most of it by by the time those last six weeks happened, but
0: yeah, it, and I know Gower Champion didn't choreograph it, but it was certainly choreographed in the style. Of Most of it was Gowers style. actually. Right, okay.
1: So Warren Warren Carlisle choreographed it and then we actually did a big development workshop of all his choreography and then by the time we started rehearsing in New York, a lot of the Gower Champion stuff had been restored, which he did. So uh like Sunday clothes and the opening, all of those things, um were Gower Champion Hello Dolly. And then Warren basically did a new waiter's gala that was busy <laughs> um, and hectic. And yeah, we got to do a lot of Gala Champion, which I love. I love all the history of, of these shows. It's, yeah. it's fun to do.
0: Now, when you retired, it's effectively 10 years of shift work.
1: Yes. Yeah. My favorite thing now is I get to have dinner at eight o'clock at night.
0: <laughs> right. Yes, because normally the curtain would be just going up. Yeah, like it's interesting. I...
1: I'm good when I'm in like tech and previews, working nights. But now I really don't like it. Like I, I'll do it when I have to. But I, I, I love being an early riser and being at the studio at nine till six.
0: I have a dear friend who's a leading lady of Australian musical theatre, and she describes being in a show as leading a monastic lifestyle. The yes. Whole your whole life is about the show that night. Yes. I even a couple of times
1: when I've, I've taught a workshop or something. And it's in the evening. I just I feel like I have it hanging over me all day, and um, I didn't used to feel like that. It's all I knew, but um, but yeah, it's nice to not be heading
0: to work when everyone else is like getting off of work and going a happy hour and having dinner. <laughs> now imagine when the show finishes at ten thirty, quarter to eleven, whatever. Um, you just don't go home. You're wired. Bed. You're no. wired. Yeah. So so what was your pattern like?
1: Well, it would be de- determined a lot by if I had to be in the next day for rehearsal. Um, but I, I'd i come home, I'd eat something, and then I'd, I'd try and watch some TV and wind down. Hello Dolly, my body really felt, sort of 10 years of dancing, and I had a knee surgery during Hello Dolly as well. So I would come home, and I'm not kidding, three or four times a week, often a Friday night. This was like my Friday night, I'd come home. <laughs> And I'd get five bags of ice and ice plunge with a glass of wine because that has to happen as you're like miserable, but it was the only way I could get through a week of shows what I did for love, what I did for love <laughs> but you are you're just sort of you're you're conditioning it's just it's you're in like a marathon
0: sort of mindset um and and what about partner time those people with families I mean you have to sort of make or try and find time to sort of share moments to, to yeah I think
1: that's that's true I also was so busy because I was a dance captain for so many projects but if you're in a show and you don't have to understudy um, and you just come in and do your ensemble track it's not too terrible you get most of your days free I lived at the theatre Tuesday to Saturday um, but yeah it it comes with lots of compromising but also, um, we had plenty of families. Like on Billy Elliot, we had quite a few, and the kids would come in between shows to the dressing room and hang. It was actually quite a lovely thing. Um, made it work, I suppose.
0: That's a great show, Billy Elliot. It's a lovely plot for the ensemble. Um, it, as minors, you get some terrific numbers to do. I mean, yeah. my, and and the genius of that choreography of Peter Darling, with with the minors and the, and the little girls in two solidarity. Rooms. I know that. that
1: crossfade of it's just I tell you I took it for granted that chapter because that was that was my second job like after Westside and it was intense Um, you very much know what is expected of you on Peter's team Um, and his associate Ellen Kane who's since gone on to do her own stuff they're quite brilliant and I got to go back into that world when I did Matilda which I was so grateful for but gosh I would kill to have another process now especially knowing what I know and doing what I do to sort of be close to his brilliant mind because he's he's incredible I I hope to create work like
0: like he has I don't know if I can but I'm going to try <laughs> Matilda and and Billy are a couple of shows that that feature extraordinary children yes I mean, isn't it amazing what some of those seven and eight year olds can do capable? I know I
1: know. It's also, working on shows with kids like that is actually really quite fun because their energy is contagious and, you know, there's an innocence that gets brought to the theatre that, you know, makes it all a little less intense sometimes, you know, so. Billy Elliot
0: describes that feeling of electricity when he dances. What do you feel? I used to feel that, for sure. Um, I feel a lot
1: of a pride especially now like knowing that i've had a hand in curating an experience or building a number in in a way um it brings me a lot of satisfaction and I, i i also try really really hard to always empower the people that we're working with because you know there's a vulnerability with what we do and for the most part i've been lucky to work with really great people but there have been a couple of times where i've been intimidated or felt a little stressed and unsafe in a room and it just it doesn't do anyone any good. And so I, f- I, have, I really take that responsibility very seriously and to then watch people be their best is, like, such a,
0: a pleasure. You also had a gig in the Met Opera with La Traviata. Uh, what's it like directing opera? Uh, uh, choreographing, yes. choreographing working with Lauren. Lauren. Attara, of course, yeah.
1: It was incredible actually and that's sort of where Lauren and I it was our first time working in that relationship together right. um, so
0: ha- actually how did you meet because it sounds like it's now a, a uh, terrific working relationship yes yeah. she's
1: incredible and when we're working we often spend more time together than we do with her husband and my partner to be honest it's its a marriage in a way um, we met she came into How to Succeed as our vacation swing and she was exactly where I was in her mindset um when I was wrapping up Hello Dolly, like, you know, she was performing, but was definitely already like dabbling in associate work. Um, and then we reconnected, I reached out to her when I was really serious about making the transition. And I I said, do you think we could grab a coffee? Cause I could just use some mentoring. And she offered me Traviata at that coffee, which was like 10 months away. and. And then one thing led to another, but Traviata was pretty special because it was my first time returning to Lincoln Centre since I left Juilliard. And she also um, trained at Juilliard f- for me. Um, and we got to just do incredible creative concert dance. You know, it's it's a lot moving, you know, a chorus of 70 people. but Who weren't necessarily dancers. No, but or... it... They, they're they set up for success at the Met. You know, Michael Mayer, who directed it, had three assistant directors um, assigned to him, and they sort of know how it works. But it was fast and furious, for sure. But what about that stage and that auditorium? It's huge. It's oh, cavernous. It's I mean, it was really cool. And I ended up performing in the first season of it, and that wasn't the intention. Um, but it just it ended up making more sense for me to perform just financially as well as get that credit um, yeah it was it, iconic I'm really grateful for the experience and I hope we get invited back post-COVID and do something else there because it's just really fun when you get to work with incredible dancers which I often it's theatre it's, it depends on what the needs of the show are as to who you're working with so to have some brilliant dancers that well, they're
0: your—they're uh, like your paintbrushes, aren't they? Yeah. They—it's just brings to life what it's just what's a pleasure. Yeah. So, when you're in a show yeah. and it's running for a long time, because I think uh, you're quite with how to succeed for a year or something, weren't
1: you? Yeah, how to succeed? I was there a year. Matilda was my longest um, time. I spent almost two years there.
0: So, how do you manage that repetition in the long run, doing the same thing every night? It's hard.
1: Yeah. It's I think that's why I've I've never had a problem with being a swing and a dance captain because there are enough elements with that to make things different and it's better on your body. Um, Matilda, I ended up... It was the only time I had an onstage track and I was excited for that experience and I thought that maybe I wanted that and I realised that it's not the best fit for me. It's hard. Um, But... I also just recognised how lucky I was. I had a really good track, um, and so I loved having... I had some great features. I I was one of the two boys um, on the front of the school gates with the alphabet, and that was really physically hard, but it also I had such pride in being one of those two guys every
0: night. But you're putting a lot of trust also in some of the crew, I guess, to push out those letters. There were the other steps. actors. Yeah. Other actors, were there, right? But we rehearsed a lot. Right. Um,
1: and, you know, on Peter shows and Billy and... any Because of the kids, especially, we had contingency after contingency. So I actually felt really safe um, because of the kids. Everyone was, you know, it was procedure, procedure. But, uh, yeah, it... It was hard we had really good people and backstage was really fun it was my favorite dressing room i've ever been a part of um i met my best friend there um who's now our dance captain on Mr. start fire and is, i trust him more than anybody like creatively he's all part of our process um and it was also i hadn't i would had a couple of years where i felt like i couldn't get arrested in new york and so I was grateful for the employment and to be back doing what I loved and my best friend Travis but all of the boys sort of really it was the first time I experienced that you know there's enough room to celebrate everybody's success and you don't have to be like super competitive and cutthroat and you know that really rubbed off on me and you know it's sort of how I approach life now you know which
0: was a really great lesson to learn. So a couple of years where you say you're not working, you're obviously auditioning for things, yes. but not getting them. And getting down to the end, never going my, my way, yeah. So how how does a performer begin to cope with all of that rejection? Does That obviously plays with your mind a bit. How do you remain optimistic? Well, I think the
1: thing is, Part of the reason why it appears that I've not stopped working is because there's just more options. So for every yes I got, I still got 20 no's. Whereas, you know, I'm sure down here it seems that it's like everyone's auditioning for the one shot and then that's it for a little while. So that would, I think, be harder and more intense. In a way, there were obviously certain projects that I would go in for and I was like, I really want this. But you go, uh, there'll be something else. There'll be a, an appointment for something else in a couple of days. And and it just... You figure it out as part of growing up, I suppose. Otherwise, you've got no business trying to be in show
0: business. Um, it's maintaining a belief in yourself, I guess, and what, what you can offer. And understanding that sometimes a job doesn't go your way because of your height or your look or yeah. the person you've got to play against or with. Or yeah, that.
1: I think that's really accurate. Or... Like even understanding like how you're typed and then within that type, um, knowing, oh, well, so-and-so is actually a better singer than me. And if that's going to be, if the music department's going to get their say, then it's going to go that way. But if they really want a great dancer, then it might go to MJ.
0: So it's, it's, that. I, uh, I used to get to New York quite a bit, you know, unfortunately not in the current yeah. times. But it seemed to be part of the experience at a Broadway show where everybody would stand at the end. Now, do you think, have you found that that's generally the thing now? That's part of the experience that people want? They want to do a standing ovation? Or is everybody just, they can't wait to stretch their legs because they've been sitting in these tiny seats? I don't <laughs> know. I think, I mean, we definitely didn't get a standing ovation
1: every day at Matilda well. in the fourth year, but like Hello Dolly, it was. You had to leap, leap up, mm. and you just had two and a half hours of absolute an iconic, joy. yeah. yeah. Um, I actually think New York crowds can be quite tough sometimes, actually. So, um, but then everything I see now, I often try and see it early on in, in a run. So mm. I do feel like everyone's much more eager to celebrate. Mm. Certainly, they
0: will be when broadway returns so when it does return and you know you're making your way now as an associate uh do you see yourself or hoping to is the new dream maybe to choreograph a broadway show yeah
1: i definitely want to stand on my own two feet as a choreographer um dance on film really interests me to be honest which i don't know how i'll make that work but you know leave it with me um a broadway show certainly uh it's it's funny because it was never on my radar. I was so busy just performing, which I'm glad because it meant I was really invested in that. But yeah, I definitely I want to. I don't want to just be limited to theater to choreograph. Like I said, dance and film, concert dance. I obviously had this background in that. Whilst I probably couldn't dance like I used to, uh, I'm interested in in. I just want to make movement because. It fulfills me so much when I'm being creative. There's just nothing
0: else I could I could see myself doing. So, I'm yes. sure I'm sure we will see you doing it too. You've you've got the talent, you've got the belief, you've got the dream, you've got the ambition.
1: Yeah, and it's relationships too. You know, um, you know I'm ironically our producer of uh, Mrs. Doubtfire, Kevin McCullum was the lead producer of my Broadway debut and I said story. So the evol-
0: my evolution is also seen. So and it's that old saying of you know every gig you do is an audition for something else something else, totally. Yeah, people are watching. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: I'm sure if I'd have been a terror on Hello Dolly, Jerry would have said get a different associate.
0: So uh Yeah. Well, MJ, we're Australia is certainly lucky to have your services back in the country at the moment, teaching at various schools and um, shaping a, a generation of new performers. Um, thanks for the chat today. It's, I've, I've loved it. It's been really interesting and entertaining. So, so thanks for joining stage. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I bet you enjoyed that conversation. What a career, eh? A vast range of experiences from the classic musicals of the golden age of Broadway through to the juggernauts of a contemporary age. Michael John was a super guest, and I'm I'm sure you'll agree. And he is now setting upon a new career in the construction of the form. Isn't it exciting to learn of the stories like his? My guest today, Michael John Slinger. Thanks for joining us, downstage centre, on stages. I'll just bring out the ghost light until next episode. There it is, in place. Now I'll just make my way to exit through the stage door. We'll look for you somewhere in the orchestra seats next time in our following episode of Stages. So, keep well, keep warm. I'll catch you then.